much for coming, Gil, all the way from Edmonton. Uh, could you expand on the uh, export of raw bit bitumen to down to Chicago and uh, the Gulf Coast? Uh, there's a pipeline in the planning to go down there, and it's not a given that it's going in yet, I don't think, but yeah. Uh, yeah. unfortunately, it probably will. Yeah, um, you know, Alberta's been an energy province for 60 years, um, but what most people don't realize is that the energy industry itself is actually undergoing quite a dramatic transformation. Um, and that's been happening, uh, and increasingly, especially over the last five to seven years. Up until that time, we got most of our money um, and most of our production from conventional fields, both conventional oil, conventional gas. But uh, the production from both conventional oil and, and conventional gas uh, has been in deep decline. Uh, there are actually some new technologies that suggest that we're going to be able to get quite a bit more out of those old oil fields. But up till now, the story had been one of decline on the conventional side. And for most oil-producing jurisdictions, that, that would be the end of the story, right? But here in Alberta, we have this new unconventional uh, uh, resource, which is not really new in the sense that, it, I mean, we, we've had Suncor, and Syncru Suncor since the 60s, Syncrude since the, the 70s, um, mining uh, oil sands or bitumen, right? That's, what, that's the, the technical term for the, uh, the raw tar sands, right? And um, up until relatively recently, uh, almost all of the uh, a very large proportion of the the raw bitumen that was taken out of the ground uh, was actually upgraded here in Alberta and created jobs. So the two big oil sands players at the beginning uh, were Suncor and Syncrude, as I mentioned. They were joined uh, by Shell. So those are the three uh, big players. And for Suncor and Syncrude, basically, uh, traditionally, they have upgraded uh, virtually everything that they've dug out of the ground, which means that they have mines to extract it, and next to the mines they have upgraders. And, and they've created a lot, of, a lot of jobs. And just to give you a sense how many jobs they create, uh, up in Fort McMurray, Syncrude has about... 5,000 employees. Suncor has about 4,500 employees. Um, about uh, half of them are employed in the mine, the other half are employed uh, in the upgrader. So it's literally thousands of jobs, not just MIC jobs, not just any jobs. These are good-paying jobs. Um, and, uh, and, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, when you build an upgrader, which is essentially a refinery, right, because it, it, it has to make the what, – what upgraders produce is what they call synthetic crude, uh, which is as close to traditional conventional oil as you can get, but they refine it so it can go through regular refineries. And um, the, uh, so you create jobs on the, in the mines, you create jobs in the upgraders, but you also create literally hundreds of jobs just maintaining these vast uh, industrial plants, right, which are run 24-7 under high pressure, lots of corrosive power of the bitumen and stuff like that. So literally hundreds of people make their living just retooling these things every year. They go from one end to the other. They call them shutdowns. I'm not, there might be some people here who have relatives who make a living doing shutdowns and stuff. But So the point is, lots of jobs created when we have upgraders. Okay? Um, 
and the the benchmark in terms of the ratio of uh, bitumen that's been upgraded to Alberta, in Alberta versus exported has been close to two thirds, one third. So traditionally, two thirds of our raw bitumen has been upgraded here, and it's created thousands of jobs, right? Um, and uh, and it's obviously good for the people doing the work, but also good for the communities because that money is being spent here in Alberta. But that ratio, that traditional ratio that which has prevailed since the beginning of the oil sands, uh, has made a dramatic shift. Uh, and, and this is—I I don't understand why this is, isn't on the front pages of the newspaper. But uh, you know, we, we even have the premier who doesn't get it, right? The premier still says his target as premier is to keep the two-third, one-third ratio, right? But the two-third, one-third ratio is gone. It's gone. Uh, over, since since the, the most recent round of oil sands development, which started about 2004 and uh, sort of petered out as the, as the global recession hit, from 2004 to 2008, we actually ramped up the, the oil sands production from about a million barrels per day to about 1.3 million barrels per day. And of that increased capacity, that extra 300,000 barrels per day, Almost all of it is going out of the province already um, in, in, in Ross form. And uh, Newt mentioned that there is a pipeline under consideration uh, for approval. The one that he's talking about is called Keystone XL as an extra large, uh, which will be the first pipeline that will, direct, that will connect Alberta, the Alberta oil sands directly to the American Gulf Coast, which, as some of you may know, is the, one of the biggest refining hubs in the world. And the idea is to, t is to take the raw bitumen directly to the refineries, which traditionally have taken their oil from, the, from Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. Though the production of those are going down, and, and so they, they want new sources of feedstock, right? So that pipeline is, uh, has been approved by our National Energy Board here in Canada. It's being held, uh, held up by American authorities. But the point that I would make is that's not the first pipeline. It's not the first bitumen pipeline. In, in fact, it is the third um, the fourth, actually, the uh, the the, the uh, National Energy Board, our Canadian regulator, has already approved Keystone X, uh, Keystone One, which takes raw bitumen from uh, the oil sands to the American Midwest, which is the second biggest refining hub in North America. So places like Illinois. Um, uh, and uh, Michigan, Ohio, and uh, and that one's already in service. Okay, and it and it has the capacity to take about 450,000 barrels per day of raw bitumen. In addition to that, the National Energy Board approved uh, a, another bitumen pipeline also to the American Midwest called the Alberta Clipper. Uh, that one has a capacity of 600,000 barrels per day. And uh, now the uh, the uh, XL is being proposed for the Gulf Coast, and there's a there's a fourth one uh, called the um, uh, the Gateway Pipeline, which would take bitumen from the oil sands to the port of Kitimat uh, on the BC coast, and that that would be sending the bitumen to, to primarily to Chinese markets. Okay, so the the point is that where we've actually already lost that that two-thirds split, the ratio is down to about 50-50 now, and it's heading south fast, right? In fact, we're, 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 we're um, literally, <laughs> literally and figuratively, but um, uh, we're going to release something in the next few months sort of outlining just how much we've lost. But um, 
it's interesting because when the like the Americans are now considering this pipeline uh, down to Texas, and one of the one of the things that uh, the advocates of that pipeline are uh, crowing about is all the jobs it's going to create. So they they estimate that thirty thousand jobs, permanent jobs, are going to be created by that pipeline. Okay, and that in the American market, these are jobs that would have been created here if we had upgraded here. But we have a government that simply just won't step in. So, I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a huge jobs issue, uh, one that we've been trying to raise, but it's flying under the radar. It wouldn't have been allowed in this province 20 years ago or 30 years ago, uh, but, it's, but everyone's just turning a blind eye to it right now. Uh, well, I don't see anyone else coming up. Oh, I do see someone coming here, but maybe uh, uh, I'll... Uh, invite you to come in first and then uh, I'm going to ask you to talk about renewable energy because you haven't talked about that yeah. in spite of the fact that the AFL is quite busy on that issue too. But yeah. So come in. Okay, so should I take this question first? Or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank <clears throat> My name is Frances Schultz and thank you very much for a very interesting talk. Um, I don't I don't I know which way you won't vote. <laughs> but my question refers to the vast number of um, workers in Alberta. I mean, people tend to say, well, it's rural Alberta that puts the conservatives into power, but they get elected in the cities as well where there are lots of presumably members of your organizations. And the question is, how do you get the average worker to vote with, with thinking through their vote as opposed to perhaps with their job? Yeah, yeah. Um, two things. First of all, uh, it's, it's true that uh, working people in this province, whether it's, you know, they're unionized or non-unionized, uh, are voting for conservatives. And I would argue that in many cases they're voting against their own interests. Um, I'm happy to say, and we've taken polls to this effect, that union members are slightly less likely, just slightly less likely to vote for conservatives <laughs> than non-union members. Um, but um, but, but the, the bigger question is, how, so how do we convince people that, uh, you know, voting for what is essentially the boss's party is not in their interest? Um, it's, a, it's a challenge because we're... We're, we're not just dealing um, we're, we're dealing with a problem of uh, worldview and also in a sense of a, a problem of, of uh, political culture right uh, I think a lot of uh, working people the people who I represent um, are proud of the fact that they work hard that they um, support their families, that they, you know, uh, got an education and they're putting it to use. And, they, they, they you know, they're, they're, so they're, they, they are susceptible, I think, to this kind of individualist rhetoric about, you know, uh, you know our country was built uh, on the minds and strong backs of individuals, right? Um, and so it, that, that worldview uh, is, is attractive, first, because it flatters them, you know, that, that, you know, each of you are standing on your own two feet, you pulled yourself up by your own uh, socks, and, but, it, but it's, also, um, um, it's also simple, Right, and, uh, and and this is actually something that I think is important. It's not 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 said enough, right? But people understand the world through stories, 
through narrative, right? And uh, and you know, partly because that's who we are. I mean, we're we're social creatures, and you know, you can present people with a whole bunch of statistics and philosophical arguments, but if you can tell them a really good story, you're going to engage them and convince them, right? And the, the bottom line is that the conservatives have spun a really good story, right? And it's one that we want to believe, that hard work pays off and that uh, good things will come to those who play by the rules and, and that the system is fair, you know? <laughs> but it's a story, <laughs> right? But it's a compelling story. And the, the, the center and left hasn't responded with as compelling a story. You know, um, you know, and, and partly because, we, like, and we're our own worst enemies sometimes. And I've, I've got, I, you know, I go to these progressive conferences and political conventions and stuff, and they start by talking about policy and they start talking about, you know, statistics and this and that. Whereas you go to a conservative event and it's all about emotion and it's all about, you know, affirmation and stuff like that. It's, it's almost, it's, it's almost like a revival, you know. And but you know, you, we laugh at it. And and sometimes we look down on it, but it works, right? And so in terms of the solution, um, I honestly think that we on the center and left, you know, those of us who are, think of ourselves as progressive and believe in collective solutions, we have, we have to start spinning a better story because I think we can. And it starts with values, right? And this is the thing that gets me. Like I, like I grew up in rural Alberta and... I was surrounded by people who voted conservative, who thought of themselves as conservative. It wasn't just who they voted for. It was, it was their identity, right? But they were nice people. They were generous people. They, they would give you the shirt off their back, right? So their values, and in fact, I remember, you know, I remember one time uh, on, uh, when I was growing up on our farm, um, one of our granaries burnt down, right? And I was just astounded how our community reacted. No one, my dad was out there with my older brother trying to put this fire out, right? And my dad was, you know, prideful. He's, he's kind of embarrassed because he was burning some brush and it set, he set our own granary on fire. But, I mean, that happens, right? I mean, if you grow up on a farm, this, this kind of things happen, right? But no one phoned anyone. But everyone in the community came. Within, I swear, it was like within 15 minutes, everyone was swarming there. They, they put the fire out. They, 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 then the women brought food for my mom. They always bring food, right? Uh, but that, but that was their values. It was about community pulling together to help community, right? And so there's there's a base there for progressives, a base of community understanding that we should take advantage of, but we don't, right? And I, and so for me, I think it's a it's a question of competing stories, and um, and we could do better, right? Like like and and and. You know, we, we we should instead of talking about, you know, looking down our noses at all these little people and telling them here are all the technocratic solutions. We should talk about community. We should talk about family. And whereas the you know the right says has all these nostrums about you know cutting taxes to help families, you know getting rid of you know red tape to help families. We could from the other side just as easily and I think more successfully say you know what. We're going to help you through better schools, better education, better public services. And, you know, people buy this stuff, but we just haven't sold it right, right? And so, um, you know, I probably should have wrapped up my talk by saying that not only do we need a, a revolution in political thinking, we need a, a revolution in the 
political left and the political center, right? Because whatever we've been doing hasn't been working. So, like, I'm not, I, I'm, I guess I am telling you not to vote conservative. I'm telling you not to vote Wild Rose Alliance because it's not in the interest of ordinary people. But I'm not necessarily telling you to vote liberal or New Democrat or, heaven forbid, this Alberta party that's springing up because they, they haven't got it right, you know? And that's part of our responsibility. You know, like I actually see as a, as a big responsibility a labor movement because you're right, our members are voting for these guys. So one of one of my jobs, as I see it, as president of the federation, which and I'm like we're an advocacy group, not necessarily a union. So like I work with all these different unions. One of my jobs is to find a way. Uh, to make politics more relevant to our members, to make them understand that there are progressive alternatives that 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 are not alien, you know, and to, and to connect their values with politics, and I, and also to challenge the political parties to respond to that. Right? It's not good. What, what, what we've been getting from the political center and left in this province is not good enough. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, so we have uh, 10 minutes, and uh, my question for you is, uh, well, you're well aware of it, that Greenpeace and the Sierra Club and the AFL had uh, put out, uh, uh, you know, a really important uh, issue on this, on uh, green energy or renewable energy, however you want to go. and the creation of jobs that can happen yep. there. Do you have any sort of comment on that? Is it, is it a, something that uh, the AFL itself uh, is, is promoting? Yeah. Well, f- well first of all, um, you know, there, there's, there's a story that, that's been spun, once again, by people on, on, the, on the right and also in the business community, that we have to choose between jobs and environment. And uh, we at the Federation have come to the conclusion that that's a false choice um, because we think that we can have both. And, in fact, we think we should have both and that we have the resources to make sure that we have both, right? So uh, I've I've never said and I never will say that we should, like, shut down the tar sands because it is – it's it's our – it's what we've got, right? It's the resource that we've got. It's valuable. The world wants it. It will be developed one way or another. But the big question, which I don't think Albertans have had enough opportunity to engage in, is how does it get developed? Okay? So our position as a federation, and we spend a lot of time thinking about this, uh, because we have lots of members who work in the oil sands, either in construction or on the operations side, um, you know, our, you know we, we'll never take the position shut down the oil sands, but we, we, we're also not going to be mindless boosters of business, so we've tried to chart this middle ground, which is, which honestly, it was where I think most Albertans are, right? Because we're pragmatic people, and we know that this is a valuable resource, and frankly, the, the money that's generated from it uh, pays for our schools, our roads, our hospitals, right? Um, but we can do better, and we need to do better. And so, what we're suggesting is that. Uh, we take at least some of the revenue that's generated from the exploitation of this resource, and and by most measures it is a dirty resource, and use that money to help kickstart uh, a green a greener economy. So not uh, not not a green economy instead of the oil sands economy, but a green economy in addition to the oil sands economy. So our vision is to have an oil sands that's being developed 
with the highest possible standards, right, uh, of, of environmental protection, not only because that's the right thing to do for the environment, but because it makes economic sense too, right? Because like you see all these American legislators saying we're not going to import your dirty oil. Well, we could avoid that argument and avoid that threat by making our, our, our oil less dirty, right? So there's an economic incentive to actually have higher standards in the oil sands. Uh, but we also think that lots of money could be generated um, for, uh, for things like, you know, like like green energy, um, public transit, and, and uh, green job creation, and things like retrofitting homes and stuff like that. And we, and as Ian said, we actually produced a report on green jobs in conjunction with Greenpeace and the Sierra Club, and we actually outlined very specific policy steps that we could take that would create 40,000 jobs in six months. You know, using oil sands money to create green jobs, and I think most Albertans would get behind it and be very very excited about it. And it would be, be money better spent than all that PR that the that the <laughs> the government has spent on their ads and their trips down to Washington. So, yeah. it's a pleasure to hear you, Mr. McGowan. Uh, there's very lack of labor views and sides in politics today. I was unfortunately born in the hungry 30s. Went through the recession. My daddy was a miner. I happened to turn out to be the youngest grievance man in North America at the age of 19, the United Mine Workers of America. And I'm still fighting. But one question I want to ask you is, I know the, the lack of information that you can glean out of the Information Act in Alberta, especially, practically nil. But I have, I have papers, Auditor General's office through my research, that tell me what royalties we are receiving. Yeah. Practically, how do you spell zilch? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, what's your inter you're in the middle of, of the, this whole economic picture. What's your interpretation of our royalties? I know my figures say that we are getting twice as much royalty out of $4 a gigajoule of gas. Twice as much royalties are we getting over a million dollars of $70 oil. That get, you know, quick mathematics you got to shake your head, but what's your interpretation? What are royalties? Yeah. Well, I, I think your, your math is good. Um, we actually, you know, people think of Alberta as an oil economy, but when it comes to revenue generation for the provincial government, the natural gas for the last 30 years has been the real cash cow, right? So we, we've gotten more of our royalties that pay for public services out of natural gas. The... the um, the royalty structure for uh, the, the non-conventional stuff is much lower, and uh, and so we get for, for each you know barrel of oil sands that's produced, we get much less than from a barrel of conventional oil or a, a gigajoule of natural gas. So uh, there, there is, it's un, it's unequal there, and in fact, and I mentioned it in my presentation, the the, the famous penny on the dollar royalty. Basically, Ralph Klein gave away our oil sands in exchange for a promise of development, right? And uh, the, the Islamic government tweaked that regime, and we are getting a little bit more in oil sands revenue than we had been, but it's still just a fraction of what it could be. Most other oil-producing oil jurisdictions take way more. Um, and, and one thing I'll say about royalties, because a lot of the, 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 the government people and the business people will make, make it sound like royalties are taxes. They're not. They'll say, oh, you know, if, you know, if royalties, the way they're structured, actually, they, structure, they assume that the company's going to take a fair business profit of like 15%. And they don't, they don't even apply them until they've made a profit. So we're actually only 
taking the royalties after they've already made a profit. So when they tell you that the, if the royalties are too high for them to make a profit, uh, don't believe it. Okay, it's just not the way royalties uh, are, are. So we could we could take much more than we do, and we should, uh, because we're in the we're in the basement of of the world. And I think that frankly, the energy industry uh, is laughing at us. Um, and even even in the most recent round of royalty changes, which happened two years ago. Um, you know, there's there lots of outcry from the oil patch in Calgary about all, you know, how this is going to kill business. And conveniently, a, a, you know, a, a recession came and proved them right, even though it had, you know, you know the, the slowdown in the oil patch had nothing to do with the royalty regime. The energy industry knew that, but it was conveniently timed, right? And, uh, but, uh, so even those small increases that Stalmick did make, they've been entirely rolled back. Right, so we're actually making less in some some areas uh, than we were before those changes, and the government will point to things like you know increased land sales, uh, you know replacing the loss of money that's coming in from royalties, but we've actually given more out in incentives than we've gotten in land sales, and so uh, you know we, we still we continue to have a huge problem uh, in terms of giving away our resources, uh, not getting anything re in return for it. That's something that has to change uh, if uh, if we hope to generate the revenue that we need for our public services and to address all these challenges that I talked about that we're facing. So, okay. So, um, well, thanks a lot, uh, Gil. Um, you, uh, you have uh, someone here, of course, at our very table who came all the way to hear you talk, uh, one of my ex-students uh, before retirement. Thanks a lot for... Uh, a lot of really interesting information and, uh, and ideas and uh, hopefully action. Uh, you talked a lot about ideas and I think they're great, um, but then without action, um, what happens to the ideas? And, uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, making the trip down from Edmonton. Thank you. Yeah.